Krista decided to try to match me. We're both wearing jackets and pants. But anyways, it is good to be with you guys. So good. I, I want to tell you, Mercy Fellowship has become a home away from home. Uh, my wife and I love coming uh, to, to Marysville, to Lake Stevens. This area is just uh, amazing. Um, and uh, Pastor Chris and his wife, uh, Tara, have been uh, truly some of our bestest friends. So encouraging, not just because they have a boat. We get to go on Lake Stevens. We do love that. Uh, but they have uh, pastored our hearts through uh, good times and hard times and are so thankful. Um, it's, it's encouraging to have friends that, that know you and know areas uh, that you continue to struggle, continue to, to need Jesus, that point you to Jesus. That is so encouraging. Um, I, something I want to talk about as we look at Psalm 119, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 73 through 80 here in a minute, but I, I want to lead it up with like, we're going to be talking about change today, real change, and change, um, like real lasting change can seem impossible, and it can be uh, discouraging and even embarrassing when you continue to make some of the same mistakes over and over and over again. Um, I, I recently met my family at our neighborhood pool. It's just, you know, down the block. And so I, I told my, the Pasma Patrol, just to head down there. I'll meet you guys there. I think I like was letting the dog, you know, do its thing or something. So they were running ahead uh, of me. And so they get there, they get to the pool. And then I arrive, uh, you know, a few minutes later. As I walk in, I, I head over to the table, uh, thinking it's my table, because this is the table that we usually use. And uh, I, I put my phone, wallet, keys, towel, that stuff down, you know, next to my, what I think is my family stuff. And I look down and I notice the suntan lotion. And I, I you know, I'm like, wow, this is, my wife bought some really nice suntan lotion. You know, this is the expensive kind. And then I thought, uh, wow, uh, these are newer towels. Way to go, Laura. You know, that's my wife, by the way. And then I noticed some pretzels. Now, I, I should have went, okay, these are Trader Joe's pretzels. We don't have a Trader Joe's in Tri-Cities. But I'm thinking, what? Laura, you know, you ordered some Trader Joe's pretzels or whatever. This is, this is great. I pick up the, the bag to see, again, you know, what kind are these peanut butter filled pretzels? No, they were not. But still, I'm like, way to go, Laura, because these look delish. And then I hear this loud voice from across the pool. Sir, those are not your pretzels. Put them down. You know, something like that. When my, my, when my wife retells the story, she, it's more like this, sir, would you kindly, no, no, I did not hear that. It was like, sir, put those pretzels down, they're not yours. And in that moment, I felt like I was in an episode of Animal Planet. I was the, the foolish water bison that had wandered over into crocodile territory. And uh, I guess that makes me the pretzel. But anyways, my wife rescued me from the jaws of awkwardness when she, because literally, I hear this stranger, I've never met him. Uh, I thought it was a friend joking with me, but it wasn't. I'm like, that's a stranger. Who is that man? He probably thinks I'm a thief. He's going to call the police. My wife says, you know, hey, it's the table behind you. I think she wanted to say, hey, idiot. But anyways, um, I later tried to smooth things over with the guy and said, hey, I wasn't trying to steal your pretzels. I'll bring pretzels to share and I'll even bring the peanut butter filled. But, you know, we can laugh about a story like that. But in all seriousness, there, there, there are things uh, that, that tend to creep up. You, you tend to make over and over again mistakes. In my, uh, in my life, I tend to not be very observant to details, uh, especially even in my parenting. My, my, my kids love it. My four kids love it that I'm not very observant. 
uh, when I'm on duty, they're just like, yes, party time. Um, where my wife has eyes in the back of her head, but um, what, what is it for you? I want you to be honest. What is it that, that there's a, there tends to be uh, a weakness, a thing that you keep, it, it can affect your parenting and it can, it can affect your, your marriage. Uh, a big problem that we all tend to face at times is real, lasting change. Many of us, we can see our problem, we can see our need for change, but don't really change. Or, or some of us, we've experienced change, but we go back to the old way. That's like someone, uh, you know, if, think about like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly and then the next day going, you know what, this, I want to go back to becoming a caterpillar. Like, that's ridiculous. And, and, but many of us, we, we go back to the, to the old way. We go back to, to patterns. Uh, in our study of Psalm 119 today, we're going to see that King David wants to truly change for God's glory. Uh, a motive for change needs to be something stronger than, well, well you know what, I don't want to be embarrassed at the public pool. You know, I don't want to be embarrassed, or I, I want my marriage to be a little better, or I want my parenting to be more effective. There needs to be a stronger motive for change. And if you want to write this down, the glory of God satisfying our part soul is the strongest motive for change. Someone say amen if you believe that. And in, in, in this passage today, we're going to see King David wants to truly change. In fact, he says, I, I know, O Lord, that your regulations are fair. You disciplined me because I needed it. He's saying, I, I need discipline. I need to change. You created me. Give me the sense to follow you. You're going to hear rhetoric like this. And it, and it made me think of like saying, like, Lord, like that pretzel situation in the pool, I needed that. Like, I need to be reminded that I'm not very observant, that I need you to open the eyes of my heart to not just notice, those aren't my pretzels, but I need to know that, that, that I need his, his spirit to open the eyes of my heart, that I would see him in his word. King David is not confident in his kingly title. He's not confident even in his own wisdom. He's not confident in his ability to change but he's confident in God's word to change him. In fact, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the whole Bible. And so I told Crossview where I pastor in Tri-Cities, I'm like, hey, buckle up, we're going to be in one chapter the entire summer, and it has one subject. We're going to just keep playing the same subject over and over again, and it's God's word. That's the, that's the focus of it. And, and some of you might be saying, well, that's kind of boring. You're just like... Sermon is about God's Word, and then the next sermon is about the importance of God's Word, and then the next sermon, the importance of God's Word. And guess what? It's been one of the, the most amazing um, chapters I've ever studied. It is so good, and it is the opposite of boring. God's Word is so electrifying and so encouraging. It's not just great information. It has the power for transformation, true, lasting transformation. If you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119, without any further ado, we will jump into it. This is verse 73, and this is out of the New Living Translation. It says this, you made me, you created me. Now give me the sense to follow your commandments. May all who fear you find in me a cause for joy, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, O Lord, that your regulations are fair. You disciplined me, watch this, because I needed it. 
Now let your unfailing love comfort me, just as you promised me, uh, your servant. Surround me with your tender mercy so I may live, for your instructions are my delight. Bring disgrace upon the arrogant people who lied about me. Meanwhile, I will concentrate on your commandments. Let me be united with all who fear you. With those who know your laws, may I be blameless in keeping your decrees that I will never be ashamed. Let's pray again. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place that you would move in hearts. We are so thankful that your word does not return void that is sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. We need it to cut through idolatry, cut through fear. And we need it to be replaced with hope, God. We pray that you give us hope. You give us, uh, you remind us that we are uh, adopted into your family, that we are forgiven because of your blood. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. The big idea of this passage, and you can see it on the screen here, is God transforms our lives. He literally transforms our lives through His glorious Word, number one, when we are encouraged by God's people to fear God. And then the second one is when we are attacked by others. God uses attack to change us. Uh, And then thirdly, when we experience the love of God. Uh, These three main points come from the passage. I'll show you real quick. I'm going to show you the entirety of the sermon in 30 seconds. Here it is. The point number one, encouragement. In other words, encouraged by a God-fearing community. We see this in 74, verse 74. May all who fear you find in me a cause for joy. That there's a, a, a gospel community, that, a community that fears God. Number two, that attack from liars uh, made David concentrate on the truth of God. Watch this now, that, that liars and, and the attack from others would made him, make him concentrate and gravi- gravitate to the truth of God. So the lies of this world, when they're, they're stuffed and shoved in your face, it would make you all the more concentrate on God's Word. And then the third point is that His unfailing love would be the comfort to your soul. So that's the whole sermon, so you can go ahead and leave. No, just kidding. Let's break it down a little bit more. Um, it, it's, it's awesome just to, to get in to the Word of God. And I, I want to just rem- remind you that when you sit down, uh, over, over shredded wheat or, or a special K with strawberries on top or whatever it is that you, you eat in, in the morning, that when you're sitting down to read God's Word, that you, you realize you're sitting down with Jesus. I'll, I'll prove it to you that this isn't just a book, it, uh, that God's Word is a person. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then it says, and the Word became flesh. Isn't that good news, that this isn't just a book? We can know the living God personally through Jesus Christ, the visible image of the invisible God, the true Word. Isn't that good? Come on, are you guys alive? Isn't this good news? Amen. Yes. I I, I pray we meet the living and personal God when we read His Word. Uh, Psalm 119, 73 through 80 is a super unique passage. In fact, it's a stanza, and out of all 24 stanzas, it has a concentric structure. If you want to write that down, it has a concentric structure. Structure, which means the first verse and the last verse correspond, 
uh, and, and so on. So like the first verse, which is 73, and the, the last verse of the, of the stanza, verses, verse 80, actually corresponds. And then the second verse, which is verse 74, corresponds with the second to last verse, which is 79, and, and so on, all the way till you get to 76 and 77, which is the middle of the passage, which is the bullseye. And, I, and I'll, I'll give you the, the climactic conclusion to the sermon right now. Uh, is the center, the bullseye of the passage, is the mercy of God. Isn't that great? So it's awesome. I love this. And the Hebrew, Hebrew writers did this style of writing. It's a form of poetry to help with memory. Now, in, in fifth grade at Canyon View Elementary in Kennewick, Washington, uh, my, uh, my music teacher wanted the class to memorize all 50 states. And so there was a concentric structure to it. No, there wasn't concentric. But there was some memory to it. And so she, she taught us the 50 states through song and memory. And uh, so I'm going to sing it for you now. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut. Okay, I'm done. But anyways, like I learned that fifth grade teacher, there was some power there. And, and, and now I can recite some of the states. I can't do the whole song. My kids laugh at me. They're like, you don't remember the whole thing. But anyways, um, the writers of this and, and specifically David in this, because there's some different writers in Psalms, but the writers really want the Word of God to not just be memorized, but to truly be something that we meditate on, that we, we lean on, that, that throughout the, the day, when, watch this, when idolatrous uh, tumors begin to grow in our heart, because our heart's an idol factory, as Timothy Keller talks about that, as it begins to grow, because we hide His Word in our heart, like we're striving to memorize it, we're striving to understand the concentric structure that it's the mercy of God and we need to meditate on it, that it begins to kill those idols that tend to grow throughout a day, that we daily need His Word, to His Spirit-empowered Word to change us. I, I love 73 and 80. If, if we begin to break this down a little bit, this, again, this isn't just some cool stylistic poetic structure. It, the, the, the point is to, to bring about real transformation. Look at 73 with me. It says, look at the rhetoric. It says, give me the sense to follow. So you created me, like that's marvelous, you created me, but now give me the sense to follow. In other words, David's saying, <clears throat> that's great that I'm a creature, you created me, but I want to be a creature of your word. Give me the sense to actually follow you. And then verse 80 has very similar rhetoric. It says, look at this, uh, help, uh, help me be blameless in keeping. Someone say keeping, I need to hear you. Keeping your decrees. Some of you are like scared to talk because you're like, he's going to make me sing. I know it, oh man. Look at 74 now. 74 talks about a community that's fearing God. And this corresponds with 79, which talks about being united in a community with others who what? Fear God. And then again, at the center of the concentric structure is the mercy of God. In other words, the gospel. The gospel. Faith in the Messiah that would come uh, for David because he, he hadn't yet come yet. But for us, he has. And look at the, uh, the bullseye of this passage with me. You can see it, uh, Psalm 119 and 77. It says, surround me with your tender mercies, 
so I may live. For your instructions are my delight. Notice this doesn't say so that I may live my way. We need to stop and surrender to God's way. We all tend to want to live our way. God is a surgeon with a scalpel that lovingly cuts in order to help us be transformed. He isn't a barbarian wildly just aimlessly hitting and cutting us just to punish us. Jesus was punished on the cross, right? Like So Jesus is now a surgeon that wants to cut out idolatry. He lovingly cuts us. Not, to, not in a punitive fashion, but to grow us. If you want to take notes, Jesus cuts us to heal us. It should give us joy, a joyful obedience, knowing Jesus has saved us from God's wrath. Mercy, you guys, your church is called Mercy Fellowship, right? Do you know, do you know the difference between mercy and grace? Grace is the divine influence on our heart. Grace is unmerited favor. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, which is his wrath. So someone's like, mercy, mercy. No, please have mercy on me. That's it. Like you deserve, we all deserve God's wrath. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, which is his wrath. Grace is getting, receiving what we don't deserve, which is his favor and his love. It's huge. I was preaching to the youth on, on Thursday, our youth group, and I wrote down on this big pad of paper, lust, I wrote down lying, I wrote down fearing, and all these big, and big dark black le letters, I wrote all these words, and I said, some of this, this describes you, and then I poured red paint. Now, now, I, before you all freak out, I had like plastic down, okay, because you're like, red paint in a church, but yeah, anyways, and I'm pouring this, and pretty soon the whole youth group could see all those words like lying, and cheating, and, and fearing, they were all covered by the blood of Christ. And we need the concentric structure, the, the bullseye of this passage is the mercy of God, the love of God, unfailing love. So we see his tender mercies, and then we also see in verse 76, it's also the center, now let your unfailing love comfort me. So it's not just mercy, which is not getting his wrath, but it's also his unfailing love. It's grace and mercy. Like this is gigantic. And man, you hear passion in my voice, not because the coffee kicked in, but the, the, the spirit of God, the living word alive in me. And this could be you. It'll uh, change and transform your parenting. It'll Some of you that are single, it'll, man, you, people will be like, man, did you meet someone? And you're like, yeah, I met Jesus but also still pray for me. I'm living in my mom's basement or whatever. I mean, if that's you, like you would trust in Jesus and his word to electrify your soul. We need it now more than ever. There's so much bad news. Just news, news, news. My wife came upstairs. She's like, hey, are you all right? I was like, man, I just read some tough news. I mean, it's just every day there's bad news. We have to trust in the good news of his word. Okay, now that we, we kind of understand the gist of the passage, let's break it down even more, okay? We're going to break it down even more to understand uh, the, the surrounding verses and how they can bring about true metamorphosis and true change. My introduction was about change. This passage is about change. And let's look at how um, a community, this is the first point of the sermon, 
how a community, that a God-fearing community can encourage us to true change by fearing God. Now that might kind of weird you out a little bit. In fact, if you're kind of new, this is your first time to church, and you're like, how is fearing God encouraging? Fear is encouraging? What? Look at it. Don't ever take my word for it. Uh, look at the, the word of God, Psalm 119, 74. May all, we're going to see the word all in 74 and 79. Uh, all who fear you find in me a cause for joy, for I have put my hope in your word. And then 79, which corresponds. Remember the first, uh, it says this. Let me be united with all who fear you, with those who know your laws. Fearing God leads to real encouraging joy, and the joy is in the word all. This, this change should not just be singular to a singular individual, but in a community. David is saying, man, I want not just myself to fear God, but people around me, that there be a plurality, not just individuality, but a plurality. Um, in fact, some of us like, man, when we read this and we, we begin to fear God rather than fear our governor or fear mandates or fear that or fear COVID, that we would fear God and that we would want to tell our neighbor and tell those around us. But some of us are just like, well, they're not going to change. You don't know my neighbor. Now I just can't do it. I'm just going to stick with what I have. Or some of you are like, man, I'm not going to go to church this week. I'm just kind of discouraged. I'm, I don't really like people. <laughs> Chris's beard, he won't, he won't trim his beard. You know, like whatever it is. Uh, uh, I want to say this to you, church. You matter. You are encouraging. You sing a little louder when you hear your brother and sister singing around you. You preach a little louder throughout the week when you hear the Spirit of God preach to his people on Sunday. It's awesome. You pray a little louder, a little longer when you, you realize the cloud of witnesses around you. You matter. And when you're not here, it, 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 hurts, it hurts others. When you are here, it helps and encourages. John 13, 34. Now, so now I am giving you a new commandment Love each other just as I loved you. You should love each other. Love one another. There's a ton of one another's. We need to encourage one another. And the aim is love, but we need, we need to have a reverent fear of God that leads to love, a yielding and a loving. God's Word works in us to, to, to be truly a people of community that are encouraging. But many can become stubborn. Like I, I think of like someone stubbornly driving, you know, like speed racer or, you know, they, they won't slow down. They won't take a pit stop. Imagine, you know, just Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights. He's just driving and the pit crew's like flagging him. Like, <laughs> you know, you need, to, you need to pull your car over your tires you're, you're, you're going to blow a gasket. You need to take a break. You need to pull over. But that driver just stubbornly keeps going, pedal to the metal, and, and there's no respect and, and, or a reverent fear of like, hey, I need, I need my pit crew. I need to... And some of us are, are doing 
this Christian, or we're trying to follow Christ alone. Alone. We won't pull over. We won't get into community. We won't get into a small group. We won't, we, we want to stay in isolation. And sometimes God uses suffering and affliction to get our attention so we will finally pull over and surrender. I call this a suffering surrender. If you want to write that down, you can see it on the screen. A suffering surrender. Sometimes suffering occurs from attacking, where someone started out as a friend and now they're a foe, you know, and, and they're lying about you, they're, uh, they're shunning you, they're talking about you. And David, King David, dealt with this. Even his own son, Absalom, lied about him. Uh, it went from a, a son to someone that uh, was, was one of his greatest enemies. And yet he leaned on God to be his defense. We don't have to be defensive because Christ is our defender, if you want to write that down. We don't have to be defensive because Christ is our defender. And when we hear lies and we see the attacks of people unfriending and people this and people that, it would make us all the more concentrate on his word. It's literally what he says. I'll show you Psalm 119 and 78. Bring disgrace upon the arrogant people who lied about me. Meanwhile, I will what? Concentrate. I will concentrate on your commandments. Here, I'm going to reenact something for you. Like, how many of us are concentrating on this? Do I even have to preach this? Like, you already know what I'm doing. I'm concentrating on what's my neighbor doing? What's happening in New York? Oh, what's happening over there? What's happening in Lake Stevens today? What's happening with the mayor? What's happening with uh, our governor? What's happening with our president? What's happening? Scroll, scroll, scroll. Concentrating on everything but this. We need to be anchored to God's Word. Another example of someone that dealt with fierce attack that needed to concentrate on God and His Word was Job. Job experienced fierce affliction and his friends, uh, they, they blamed him. His own wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? Uh, people can be discouraging. We have to hear God's word and have a community around us that fears God, that's listening to his voice and his word. I have a table to show you really quick to show you a delineation between God's voice and Satan's voice. God's voice says, find comfort in me, where Satan's voice says, find comfort anywhere you want, choose your own adventure, but God. Secondly, God's voice, he says this, find my voice in my word, where Satan says, find the voice of the world. And then thirdly, God's voice says, find comfort in your adoption during affliction where Satan says, find a hole to hide in it because everyone hates you. Don't you know Christians are an army that shoot their own wounded? You need to give up. They're just, it's full of hypocrites. Just stop it. I'm going to be uh, diving into 1 Corinthians this, this fall, and one of the things, uh, just a 20-second thing on that that's huge, is this, it's such a jacked-up church. It's so messed up. And what does Paul start with? You are saints. You're saints. 
And there's a big rebuke. I mean, they're messing up in so many ways. And he goes, you are saints. You are sons and daughters. Not because you're these amazing people, because we have an amazing God. We've been a, we are a blood-bought people, and we've got to walk in that. Amen? David is focused on, he wants to truly change. And he's, he's going, man, that discipline, I need it. I want to change. I want, give me the sense to follow you. And affliction and these scars are, are, are for your glory. Amy Carmichael, a missionary to India for 55 years, here's what she wrote, and it's poetic. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But your feet are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? Some of us, boy, we want a nice, comfortable Christianity. We want everything just given to us. Surrendering to a life of serving Jesus will mean a life of scars from affliction. Some of you, like there's a, a Facebook Live post happening right now. How many of you have posted it to your personal post? How many of you have shared it? Some of you are like, oh, well, I don't want to do that because I don't want to seem like the church lady. And so we'll just let the, the media team, you know, Matt, Nickel, would you just go ahead and share that to your post? Because that's what we pay you for. And, and, and Chris, yeah, why don't you do that? Yeah, I'm going to just sit here and be a consumeristic Christian because we have a media team. And I just don't want to do that. Or I don't want to get it. I'm just going to avoid social media. I'm just a, watch this, looker. I just have a scroller. Or I'm just not into social media. Man, there's, do you know how many people are lost? And, and, they're, and, they're, and we're afraid. We're too afraid to get involved. We're too afraid to, to, to actually get some skin in the game. To be the, in the city for the city. Like, to get into life, doing life together. Might get some scars. Might get some nicks and cuts and bruises. I, I don't know about that. Surrendering to a life of serving Jesus will mean a life of scars from affliction, from attack. Can I say it a different way? For some of you, like one of my favorite things is as we're driving from Tray Cities is the big 12th man jersey up in the trees. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? But anyways, it's for all of us that are coming into, you know, you see the big 12th man jersey up in the, I don't know even where it's at, but anyways, it's beautiful. Geographically, I'm not sure what mountainside that's on, but it, it, it's incredible. We don't want to just be a 12th man. We want to be on the field. And if you're on the field suited up, guess what? You're going to get tackled. But that's a sign you're actually playing. Isn't that good news? Some of you are like, I don't want to turf burn. I don't want to get tackled. I don't know about that. I'm too old to this. I retired. Amy Carmichael, 55 years in India. That's remarkable. Elizabeth Elliot going back to a people that literally killed her husband. Like that's, mar if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out the movie End of the Spear. I, or learn, look up Elizabeth Elliot. What a warrior princess for God. I mean, amazing, right? We're like, who's that? What? Come on, do some, check this stuff out. Sorry, I'm a little angsty. I don't, I'm normally a little more fun, but I, guys, this is, Sorry, it's, you know, I, I blame your, your dark clouds today. But anyways, I, I guess it's time for the third point because this will all cheer us up. The third point is this, 
True transformation happens when we experience the love of God. Like the love of God helps us deal with the scars from the world, the cuts and the bruises and everything that happens. It's the love of God. It's the mercy of God that holds us together. I, I told someone, uh, a friend of mine, they're, they're struggling so much. And I, and I just, I, I looked at him and I said this, the, you know, you think about Jonah and the fish, the fish ain't going away. We will always have a fish constantly. Imagine us in the water all the time and we will always have a fish, but we will always have a savior. I hope that's making sense. Some of you are like, well, wait, did you read the story of Jonah? The fish goes away. You will always have some fish. You will always have some affliction. You will always have some struggle, but we will always have the love and mercy of God. Amen. Isn't that good news? It doesn't go away. It's unfailing. Look at 76. Now let your unfailing, what, what does it say? Love. Unfailing love. Comfort me. As Switchfoot puts it this way, love alone is worth the fight. If you're not a fan of Switchfoot, you gotta, you gotta check out their music. It's so good. God allowing us to suffer is not punitive. He is not trying to punish us, but grow us. He's trying to open our heart to the love and mercy of God that we would experience. Again, Jesus is like a surgeon with a scalpel. He cuts with precision to cut out idolatry. He is not some vicious barbarian with some rusty, jagged sword wildly hitting us. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 17 as the worship team begins to come up here to, to lead us. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. One more time. They will live for themselves? No, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. It is exhausting. Please listen. It is exhausting to live for yourself. It is exhausting to live for ourselves. It is freeing to live for Him, to experience His love. Look at this, verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we have thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now. Verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The caterpillar to the butterfly. That is truly an incredible thing called metamorphosis. Some of us are like butterfly, butterflies with the, the wings, but our bodies are like a caterpillar. We're kind of like stuck <laughs> Uh, we, we go back to the old life. Like, how graceful would that... But I mean, that would be, like, really frustrating. You know, that butterfly's just, like, enjoying, you know, floating around, everything's great, and then just wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, has this big, big, you know, caterpillar body, and it can't, it can't fly anymore. And this is like some of us. We, uh, we forget who we are in Christ. We begin fearing the things of this world, fearing man... Rather than fearing God, we, we focus on attack and it makes us concentrate on the attack rather than concentrate on His Word. And we begin to love ourselves rather than experience the love 
and mercy of God. 2 Corinthians 8 9, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Chris Rich, I want to say that to you. You got a great last name. Rich in mercy. Rich in grace for others. You, you've been such a, a great uh, family that dispenses God's grace to us, reminds us. And, and church, I, you encourage, I, this has been encouraging to see God move in this place and move in your hearts like He is, you, you are, he is rich and you can become rich in His mercy and His grace and His love and rich for real change. Some of you have become very dear friends, like Al and Linda Muzzy. I know you guys have uh, wrestled with some, some tough medical things this year, and yet you have been a shining example to, to me uh, from afar, just seeing you. I know it's only on social media, but to see you pointing to Jesus has, has reminded my heart that could become selfish to concentrate on God's Word. Thank you. You guys matter. The church is different when we are together. I hope you believe that. Here's some action points. I'll close with this. Find a community. Get into a small group like your life depends on it. Like, not like it's a neat little nifty thing. Oh, let's find a small group. No, de- like your life depends on it. Like the people in the flood, like I need the ark. I need community. The ark of salvation is a gospel community that's rich in his mercy, that's trusting in him, that you need a community to remind you to fear God, not fear man and the things of this world. Secondly, pray for God to help you see affliction and even the lies that come from the attacks of this world to make you concentrate on the word of God. And as we close, I'll pray the third point over you. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to focus on your love. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Friends, I pray you get real with God right now. Some of you are in a place where you are in a posture of isolation, a posture of fear, and you need to fear God rather than man. Would you raise your hand and say that you need that? Come on, God... God sees your hands. God sees your hearts. Would you just be real and take, yes, amen. God sees those hands. Come on. Just cry out to God. Lift your hand. Yeah, and say, Jesus, I need you. I need your help. If you are in a place where you don't know Jesus and like you've known about him, you can put your hands down. You've known about him for a while, but you need his love. His love, because you haven't been very loving to others and you need his love. You need his blood to, to, to cover you. Would you lift your hand as well? Say, Jesus, I want to begin a relationship with you. Amen.